0: This is episode 70 of the Rising Man podcast with Pepe. Freedom! Welcome back, risers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you, wherever you are in the world. Sending you a blessing and love from my heart. I'm your host and the creator of the Rising Man, Jetty Azuma. Grateful to have an opportunity to bring this conversation to you guys here today, because it's a really powerful episode. But before we get into this week's episode, I'm putting out a direct invitation for you men, the ones who've been listening to The Rising Man, whether it's been from the beginning when we started over a year ago, or just up till the past couple of episodes or anywhere in between. Those of you who know you're capable of more than you're currently producing in your life. You know that you're here for something bigger. You know you've got you got big dreams. You got big visions. You have a clear sense of how you want to help the world. You know that you're here to make a positive impact and you need some more help in order to do it. Maybe you keep starting and stopping or you just can't quite get the ball rolling. Join us as a member of the Rising Man Fire Circle. Let's get this fire started because the Rising Man is about every ship rising to the surface, everybody moving forward together as a people. In order to do that, we have to band together. So our May Rising Man Fire Circle call is Saturday, May 25th. From 3 to 5 p.m pacific standard time pst Market calendars right now sign up to be a patron of the rising man podcast at www.patreon.com slash rising man we appreciate every contribution that we get from you guys and our give back to you is to be supportive of you bringing your mission and your vision into the world and welcoming you into this brotherhood of men who are raising the stakes in their lives and taking action to be the men we've always wanted to be so Support the Rising Man. Get yourself some support to be the man that you've always wanted to be by joining us in the Rising Man Fire Circles. All right. Today's guest is a man who has run a record label for over 10 years releasing music for conscious artists many of whom are well known around the country in the underground folk punk and rap communities he's opened a well-received do-it-yourself community space and music venue in his hometown and later led a march of hundreds of youth into city hall when the space was forced to shut down he's a loving partner and father of four children and has spent countless hours sitting silently in nature In 2017, he was arrested on federal conspiracy charges involving the transport of mass marijuana with a private plane. He spent the past two years fighting his case, which entailed a 10-year-to-life sentence with a 10-year mandatory minimum. He's been committed to moving forward through all of this while embracing his masculinity in the best ways possible. After his arrest, he became a certified life coach and health coach through a one-year schooling program and then created a podcast to share his story and that of others who made it through the prison system successfully, which hasn't been released just yet, but it's coming soon. He's determined to understand what it means to be a man in this world, and more specifically, how to be a man in the face of great chaos and the unknown. He has recently pled guilty to his charges and is awaiting sentencing on July 25th. He continuously says he's ready to give meaning to his next stage of his life as a man. He simply goes by the name Pepe. In this episode, we talked about dealing with the death of a vision and overcoming extreme apathy. Pepe told us about what he calls the Jaws moment when everything is going fine and dandy and suddenly the unexpected disaster happens. How did he respond? How do we respond in our lives? We talked about how difficult times are just a crossroads, an opportunity for great growth if we choose to see it that way. Pepe said that the willingness to sacrifice for something greater than yourself is his definition of spirituality. So we dug into a little bit of that. How stepping outside of the fear can orient us towards the solution. What can I learn? Having that mindset when every adversity comes up so that we can have the strength to ask that question and get what we need despite the circumstances. We talked about why it's important not to suffer pointlessly, but to give purpose and an opportunity to learn to the difficult challenges we have in our lives. We talked about a warrior and how he shows up and embraces his responsibilities at all times to the best of his ability and how a free man is a man who does not have choices, but only commitments. Without further ado, Pepe. Welcome back, Rising Man family. I got a very special guest here today, a brother of mine who goes by the name of Pepe, coming in live from Connecticut. How you doing, brother? Good to have you on here today.
1: Yeah, I'm doing great, and it's, it's an honor to be here. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing my story with your listeners.
0: Yes, man. Yes, definitely a really fascinating story, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to be interested to hear from you. And, and really, like we said before we started recording, this is a, a conversation of freedom which is something I think we all can relate to, something we all value as men. But before we dive into the nitty-gritty of it all, let me ask you what I know you're waiting for. What is the difference between a boy and a man?
1: For me, the difference is navigation. And what I mean by that is a man understands the tools that are available to him, and he also understands how to use those tools to navigate through any situation he's in.
0: So... Would you say that the process of becoming a man or getting ready to be a man is accumulating tools and figuring out how to use them?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's accumulating them. I mean, I think some of the tools we have, like when we're born and others, we, we can learn from other men. So it's accumulating them and becoming familiar with how to use them. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm hearing this more and more from men's responses to this question. It's that there's not a definitive moment in which you become a man. It's a, it's a process. It's an unfolding And I'm hearing something similar in use. So at what point do you feel like you became a man if, and, and knew how to navigate the tools that you'd accumulated?
1: There were different points in my life where I felt like that. You know, one was when I became a father. Um, and I was, I was rather young. I was 17, but at 17, you know, I stepped into manhood, but I didn't really understand how to use those tools that I was speaking of. And I think as time went on and I practiced fathering and had more life experience, I, I definitely be stepped into manhood more, but particularly now, and I'm I just turned forty um, this month, and I'd say it was probably in my late thirties after going through what I've been going through for the last two years. I really fine-tuned my my tools and how to use them. And and I definitely feel like I stepped into my masculinity more than I ever have mm. in this current mm-hmm.
0: Well, before I ask you a little bit more about that, let's give everybody who's listening some context. So for, for those people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about what you've been going through for the past couple of years, what you're up against and why we're talking about freedom today.
1: Yeah. So about two years ago, somebody was arrested for carrying a large amount of marijuana on an airplane. And when they were arrested, they cooperated with the authorities and gave some names of people that were involved in that. And my name was one of those names. So for the past two years, I've been facing charges um, relating to the transport of mass marijuana involving an airplane. And later on, they also threw a money laundering charge at me. And these charges entailed a penalty of 10 years to life. And they had a mandatory minimum of 10 years, meaning the judge... Had no authority to give the person me or others less than ten mm-hmm. years. And just to verify, it was a federal case that I'm dealing with, not a state mm-hmm. case.
0: So I'm sure a lot of us who are listening, myself included, have never been in that type of situation. So let me just ask you this: the moment that that all started to unfold, maybe it was the moment of your arrest or when you were starting to gather the enormity of what you were facing. Just just paint the picture of what your experience was like? What was the process? like? What was happening in your mind and and what showed up for you?
1: Well, to paint a picture briefly, to show some imagery, I was in a holding cell at a a local police station. And at the time, I wasn't acknowledging this, but I can say it now. I was in complete denial. I was in there. I was talking to one other person and saying, I didn't think I would serve any time. I didn't think we were going to be in trouble that much. Um, So I was definitely in denial. That was my initial response you know but initial response was oh shit and then it was denial about mm-hmm. what was coming mm-hmm.
0: and how long did that last for how long were you in that state of just denying the reality of it
1: denial lasted for about 3 weeks and you know i want to go into that briefly that denial took some very unhealthy forms when i went home uh, i was released from custody on bond and i went home And I had an ankle bracelet on and I was on home confinement in the beginning of this. So I couldn't leave my house. And my partner, she would get up in the morning and go to work. And I would get up with her as if I was preparing for my day and doing my normal routine. And then as soon as she would leave, I would get back in bed and I would just like binge watch Netflix. And I'd lay in bed and in my pajamas and I'd stay there all day for hours until I heard her car come home. And I'd quickly jump out of bed, close the computer Throw on some clothes, get out of my pajamas, and when she came in the house, I would act like I was up all day, okay, and, and going through my day without mm. much of a problem. And I did that for a couple of weeks, and, and I, you know, kept how I really felt from her and everyone else around me.
0: Mm. Wow, man! I, I just hearing that, I, I'm putting myself in your shoes, imagining what it would be like not to be able to leave the house. And you know, that's actually kind of ironic because I've been in a. a a relatable situation over the past two and a half weeks as we've been taking care of my new baby baby girl. I'm used to being out slaying dragons, working, punching in, punching out, taking care of business all day. So I'm, I'm out of the house more than I'm not. And so, you know, just like with our first child, those first two weeks of <laughs> relative home confinement drove me nuts. You know, within, within seven days of being home, I was on the phone with a buddy saying, man, I, I feel like I'm less of a man. I feel like I'm not doing my diligence to take care of my family. And so that was, and, that, and I knew that that was temporary. I knew that that was going to end. So I'm, I'm just imagining that experience of what's, what's coming, what's, what's waiting for me on the other side of that. And I know that that was a big thing for you. We talked about that you, without knowing what the outcome was going to be, uh, what was that like for you? How, what was that process?
1: Without knowing an outcome in the beginning parts, I felt like my life was over. You know, I, I gave up on my vision. You know, I had a vision for my life previous to my arrest, and then that all collapsed. And I had no idea of an outcome, and it, I just lost a lot of motivation. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anything to strive for at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. And you were—you said you just turned 40, so you were 38 years old when this all happened? Yes, Okay. So 38 years old, man, just in the grand scheme of things, yeah, that's, that's, that's when we're right in the middle of building our kingdom. So what, what what were your plans? What were you, what were you looking to do before all this happened?
1: Uh, my plans were just, as you said, building the kingdom. You know, I was literally in the beginning stages of discussing with my girlfriend, the purchasing of a home, perhaps um, a home with some land. We wanted to maybe live more closely with the land. You know, that was a, a big theme that we were kind of building towards at that point in time. Mm-hmm.
0: And you have how many children?
1: So I have four children with my ex.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. And what are the the age ranges on them?
1: So my youngest just turned 11 and then my oldest is 22. Mm -hmm.
0: So when all this happened, you were right in the middle of I'm going this way. And it's kind of like uh, metaphorically, you know, you're on the path and all of a sudden it's not just like, a rock rolls into your path. It's like the whole path just explodes and, and falls off. Like a like like there's an earthquake and there's a fracture in the earth and you literally can't go that way anymore. So just speaking about vision, how have you gone about the process of redefining a vision for yourself in a life that is meaningful enough for you to get out of bed every day?
1: Mm, that's, that's a good question. My, at one point in time, my girlfriend asked me the same thing. She said, how do you get out of bed every day? So, mm. I realized, you know, obviously I was suffering and and for a long time I hid that from people for those three weeks. And then I also realized everyone else around me was suffering, you know, the people that were close to me. And I began to realize that for them to be suffering, I didn't want it to be for no reason, right? The pointless suffering can lead to a very scary place. So this situation, it's going to require that people suffer, myself, my children, my partner, my parents, you know, my friends but if I can give meaning to that suffering, it gives me a reason to move forward. And it also allows me Mm. to find a way to make sure they don't suffer more than they need to. And if I remained in that state for three weeks where I was hiding how I felt and I wasn't being honest with myself and everyone around me and I wasn't showing up for them, eventually they were gonna end up in a place where they were suffering even more than required given what's going on. Mm.
0: So you got to, you made it about your family again.
1: Yeah.
0: Definitely. Yeah, cuz that's that's a huge thing. You know, another thing that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is part of the process of going from boy to man is as a boy, we make the world about we make our our reality about how is the world serving me? How is this going to benefit me? And as a man, we start to turn 180 degrees into how can I be of service to the world? And so just in your story, I hear you those 3 weeks of binge watching Netflix and going through your pajama routine was that uh, so, somewhat of that poor me. What's the point? Well, you know, what is my life about anymore? And then finding again, your sense of how can I be, how can I minimize the suffering for my family and really take care of them? Is that what I'm, that's what I mean? Yeah, meaning? it's
1: definitely, you know, where things begin to shift for me when I took that, that attitude and approach. And, you know, I'd like to just share one story uh, a little while back. You are kind of describing how I was in one place and then this crazy thing happened and the world shifted. And a funny thing was, One day I was uh, home watching the movie Jaws and I'm not exactly sure why I was watching the movie Jaws and my girlfriend Mm -hmm. and she says, what the fuck are you watching this for? And I kind of looked at her and then it just popped in my head. And I said, this is the perfect metaphor for what I'm going through. You know, here's these people out on this boat and they're enjoying their time, you know, this vacation and everything's fine. And they know everything around them and the world around them is peaceful and everything's in its place, but then all of a sudden, this thing comes up from the depths, and it just rips apart their boat, and it completely disravels everything that they knew, and everything around them is no longer the same, and things are starting to fall apart, you know. And then they have to act accordingly to make it through.
0: Hmm. Wow, man. And and have you ever experienced anything close to this magnitude in your life up till now?
1: Absolutely not. I mean, I, I went through a complete okay. identity loss during this process. I've never and experience something so encompassing as
0: this. Yeah. And and I imagine that most of us won't experience something like this in our lives. Obviously you're in a pretty unique situation here based on the choices that you've made and how things unfolded. And yet there's something very relatable to it. Every single one of us has a Jaws moment in our life. (laughs) You don't make it to 25, 30, 40 years old without having a Jaws moment in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's a little more of a baby Jaws or sometimes it's that, you know, big prehistoric type of shark that comes up and just choose your boat in half. Um, but either way, there's that part of the archetypal story of the unexpected happening. And what do we do with that? Do we jump into our pajamas and just get in bed and look for that cozy place to retreat from the world? Or can we gather ourselves? Can we gather ourselves and back in our center, back in our spirit, back in a place that makes sense, that's still useful and show up in the world? And that's a, that's a huge, question, uh, a huge crossroads even for, uh, for us to face. And I think we all face it in our own ways as men. So what else really helps you to navigate that, man? What really What really helped you to find that place for you, for yourself?
1: Well, essentially I broke it down into three choices for me. You know, when I was laying in bed for those three weeks and not showing up for people, I realized I can lay in bed and be stagnant like I was. And there would be no growth in that stagnation. The other option is I can kind of turn and run and hide in the corner and, and kind of become a prey animal with this whole thing coming after me. And, you know, that is essentially death and it could be a symbolic death in this case. And the other option was to turn and face that situation, right. And to begin to move forward. And as we said, give meaning to that suffering. And it kind of led to, uh, I've never been one to say I've been spiritual, but this led to kind of a, I'm hesitant to use the term spiritual awakening almost. Mm. What I realized that really helped me was once I began to turn and face this situation, at that point, I could begin to make decisions. It wasn't just coming after me. I became an active player and I was deciding how to move forward. Mm. And then I can decide, well, what am I aiming for? And as I would pick an aim, I would say, okay, I'm aiming for the best possible outcome when I'm facing 10 years to life in prison. I don't know exactly what that is, but my aim is to reach that best possible outcome. And then I realized, well, I've mm. got to be committed to that and willing to sacrifice to reach that best possible outcome. And, and that really changed my behavior. And the spiritual part came in when I realized I was acting in a way as if I was following this best possible outcome, but I had no idea what that was. And to have such a strong belief and willingness to sacrifice for something when I don't exactly know what it is, it required a spiritual connection for sure.
0: Mm. So to, I want to hear more about that spiritual connection because um, we just talked about this not too long ago on one of the Monday episodes about how our life is not ours. And I and I spoke a little bit about some of the wisdom I've accumulated and, and received from other people that if we live a life that's really not for us, then we're living a life that is for results. And we're fighting for something that we may never even see. So what does the world look like when we're fighting for something that we may never even see? So here you are, you're really facing that right now. So tell me, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that awakening and, and what was revealed to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that it really showed me, it, it showed me how to motivate myself to move out of that funk I was in. and And that awakening, it just made me realize I was connected to something greater than myself. You know, that's really what is showing me that there's something beyond me, beyond, you know, this situation I'm facing that has a power to it. And and it's hard for me to describe exactly what that is. But I realized, you know, that if I seek to move towards that and I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, parts of my life for that, it's likely to lead me to the best place. And yeah, it's just, it's it's really interesting to me. You know, this is a new thing for me to have a, a spiritual connection like that, to have a belief in something that I cannot. Fully described, and mm. it's it's something that I I've struggled with for years trying to understand spirituality, and and for me, I mean, I guess that's my meaning is that the willingness to sacrifice for something greater than yourself.
0: Mm. I like that. I like that as a definition for spirituality, and um, maybe even something that's tied into a definition of faith. I mm-hmm. hear the word faith and the word trust come up in my mind, and I know as soon as the word faith is thrown out because I was raised in a, in a Catholic background, it has a certain connotation to it. So let me, so what would you say, what are your beliefs about faith as a man who didn't have a belief in a higher power until jaws came and chewed your boat apart?
1: Yeah. I mean, that was hard for me too. you know, your your description there of of how you were raised and, and kind of having an allergy to that word, you know, I'm the same. And, you know, it was just recently, I mean, I had to sit here and say to myself, you know, I do have faith. And, and like I said, it's a faith in that unknown that I'm striving for that the unknown is going to provide me the best possible outcome. If I act appropriately and to have faith in that, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing to describe, but you know, I, like I said, it's just, it's a spiritual meaning for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also something related to the conversation of, of manhood or even adulthood is that faith requires risk-taking. It's a, it's like gambling. It's like spiritual gambling, you know, putting your faith in a higher power and, and trusting that things are going to work out in a favorable way. It's like, Putting, going all in on red and not knowing if, it, if how the how the ball is going to land, but just trusting that it's going to land in the right spot. So um, this idea of, of, of taking a risk and, and risking your faith and risking your or surrendering control really is what it is to something that's outside of you and resting your morals and resting your, your, your laurels on that, that I'm going to be okay, that my family's going to be okay. Somehow this is all going to unfold and it's for the better, man. That's just... It's just an incredible journey. And I think in, in many respects, we're all on that same journey, you know, and, and the, the cards are different, but we're all playing the same game of being able to trust so deeply that we're taken care of in a way that we can't comprehend, that we can't even perceive that we need not worry or fear about our, about our own livelihood. And as soon as we step outside of that fear for ourselves, then that's when we turn 180 degrees and we figure out how can we be a part of the solution? How can we be a part of making this world a better place?
1: Yeah. And it it also steps into what can we learn, right? Hearing, listening to you describe that, it's also in those situations and stepping into that faith and kind of stepping into that risk, you know, we can ask, what can I learn from this? And that's, you know, a very important piece for me as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So, so let's go there then. What, what have you learned from your experience so far? I'm I'm sure it's a lot. (laughs) So what, 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 what's the most poignant message that you want to convey right now about that?
1: Well, one, we kind of already talked about, and that is related to suffering. And one of the most important things I learned is if you're going to suffer, find a way to give meaning to that suffering. You know, don't suffer pointlessly. So that's one of the most important things. We already talked about that. But some other things I learned about, I learned a lot about who I am as a man. That's been challenging. It's been exciting. It's been beautiful. It's it's been hard. It's been scary.
0: You mentioned something in your notes that you sent me. You said that everyone's asking you the same thing right now. I want to know what kind of man you really are. So tell us, tell us a little bit about that, because to me, that's, wow, that's a big question.
1: Yeah, that was, it blew my mind when I realized this. You know, I was going through this for a year or more and, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with the government. I'm dealing with prosecutors, you know, I'm dealing with lawyers, I'm, I'm dealing with my children, I'm dealing with my partner. You know, there was a point when this happened, I was only facing five years. And as they found more evidence, the prosecutor said, listen, we have more evidence, and this is going to go up to a 10-year sentence. And you can either cooperate and get less time, or you cannot cooperate, and you're going to get a 10-years-to-life sentence. And then, you know, it was a, I decided not to cooperate. That was a really hard decision. But let me just jump into one other question that came up and my girlfriend at one point said, you know, if you want me to go through this with you, I need you to show up for me. I need you to be here for me. And those are two of the major areas where they were both asking me the same thing. They were saying, I want to know what kind of man you are. You know, here you are in this situation. What are you going to do? What type of man are you going to be? And in those questions, you know, there was hundreds of questions that came up and they were all came down to that one thing for me. And that was kind of mind blowing. You know, that all these questions were simply a test, so to speak, of my character as a man.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great thing. We can reduce every challenge in our lives to every choice that we have to make as men is really revealing the, the man that we are. Are you a man who does the right thing when nobody's looking? Are you a man who sells out other people to make it easy on himself? You know, all, all ultimately it always comes down to character revealing. So that's a real. I, I love that man. I'm gonna keep. <laughs> I'm gonna hold on to that and realize that everything that every challenge that shows up in my life, every test, is asking me that question: What kind of man are you? Show me what kind of man are you by your actions, not by your words. So, so what did you dis- what did you discover about yourself, about the man that you really are?
1: Well, I discovered that I kind of played out three different types of men, and once I realized that, I kind of watched other men around me and I realized most of them were doing the same in one area or the other, and. Mm. Those three types of men that I kind of realized I played into, there's the weak man who in the beginning, that's where I was, you know, he submits, they, they blame himself often, they hide, you know, they often need someone else to take care of them, right? And not that we as mm. men should never have other people take care of us, but there's a point where that can go too far. We're, we're relying on mm. that too much. And, you know, I played that weak man for a little while but there's also the wounded man and you know that's someone who can be kind of narcissistic they don't like to accept responsibility they often hide and the way they hide is through blaming others and then there's the warrior which is what i've been stepping into as much as i can and you know that's someone who shows up in whatever situation they're in and embraces their responsibilities
0: hmm. I like that. I like that breakdown: the weak man, the wounded man, and the warrior. And I can I can relate to all of those things. I actually I wonder how many of us have the courage to admit that we are the weak man at times, and that we show up as the wounded man. Because I know when I'm in my wounded man, as you just, as you defined it, the last thing I want to do, like you said, is admit that I'm <laughs> that I'm being the wounded man, that I'm not taking responsibility and it takes a lot of courage to to admit that. It's, I think that's why it's one of the hardest things for us to do as men is to admit that we're wrong because it's connected to some fear that we'll be exposed as an imposter or, or that we we're not valuable or we can't we can't show up for people if we aren't perfect mm-hmm. yeah, it's, you know, if we it, don't have it all together.
1: It gets particularly hard often when you're you're dealing with the feminine. You know, men often struggle to admit they're wrong when they're interacting with the feminine. You know, we always want to come back and and try and explain ourselves and say we were right somehow and you know, that's definitely an area that I've done a lot of work in over the years and I'm not as defensive as I used to be and I'm, I'm not seeking to be right anymore, you know?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. So how, how did you figure that one out for yourself? Because I, <laughs> I think there's a lot of us men, myself included, who still is trying to figure out how to do well, that. I, mean,
1: I think one of the big things for me with communication with the feminine was just simply understanding often what they want, you know, and, and they just want to be heard most of the time. They really just want to be heard. And as men, we want to be fixers. So that was the first area is I had to stop being a fixer. You know, I had to say, (laughs) I had to fight that urge to say, okay, well, here's what we'll do to fix that problem. You know, if you're having this trouble with your boss or a coworker, just go say this to them and then go do the next day at work and it'll be over. And, you know, my partner, she wasn't looking for that. She was looking to be heard and looking to be understood. And so, just backing off and, and taking in how she felt was more important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> man. It's it's so simple, right? It's so simple. And yet we, we have such an aversion to it because naturally we want to just fix. We wanna we wanna we're solution based. We're solution oriented. And a lot of times what our what the feminine is asking of us is not to provide a solution, just to provide a space. Mm-hmm. To be a space for the chaos to unfold, for the emotions to be processed, more so than to to get through it, to get past it. And, and on to the next thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, that's, I, I think that's something that a lot of men will hear and, and be able to relate to uh, it's just, just wanting to shut up. <laughs> There's a guy I have on my men's team. He's like, never miss an opportunity to just shut the fuck up <laughs> and listen, because it's always there. And that's usually the, the case. There
1: is, I, you know, I, I struggle with this too, is to trust my partner, you know, and in, in what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of men probably won't admit this. They don't want to say, well, I don't trust, you know, to say they don't trust their partner. And what I mean by that is we often, like I said, when they speak, we kind of combat, we come back, right? And we don't trust their words. We try to fix it or try to change it. But one thing I noticed with the feminine often, not always, but usually whoever is the more feminine in a relationship is kind of like, so to speak, the mechanic of the relationship. And my partner would be the first to bring to attention some problems in the relationship that needed fixing. And often I Mm. want to hear that, And all you know, <laughs> it didn't feel good sometimes to realize, you know how much I, I wounded her, and she would make that yeah. aware within a relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. Well, that's a really important that's a really important thing to identify is, is how what what we're missing what we're missing from our women when we're not really trusting them and not really pausing, taking enough time to listen to what they're having to say because the the one thing I've learned about women, especially in my relationship, is rarely will my wife tell me exactly what she needs exactly what she needs in a moment she may she may say something like i need you to da 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 da, da but really there's something m- more deeper beneath that 90 percent of the time so like you said there's sort of this artfulness in, in taking enough time to listen to what they really need and i imagine a man in your situation imagine you've had to do a lot of listening especially to to have a partner who knows that her her man is going away for who knows how long
1: yeah you know? well this whole situation it it touches into some territories that really get hit hard there because the feminine kind of craves connection and Mm. not be abandoned. And then for myself, the masculine craves freedom, you know, to not be told what to do or held back. And in both these areas for, for her and I are are being truly challenged. Mm.
0: So let's talk about that for a minute, man, about how you have figured out a way to continue to provide connection for her and and intimacy as you're planning to be behind bars for a while?
1: Well, one thing, you know, and it's something I already do now, and I'll, I'll just bring this up briefly. So your story you just told about you and your partner, how she doesn't always tell you what she wants when the time is appropriate. It's not always, but sometimes when we're having a discussion, and she's communicating things to me and she's not being clear. Sometimes I'll just simply say, what are you not telling me? And I don't mean it in a way that she's keeping a secret, but it gives her a moment to, step back and then she can think about what she's actually not saying. And I coming from the masculine, usually at that point, have a much better understanding of how Mm -hmm. she's feeling. And, you know, that's obviously something that I plan to do in prison. And we're going to be communicating on the phone a lot, you know? So if I'm sensing something within her, her voice on the phone, you know, I can ask her that question in a, Mm -hmm. not in an accusatory way, but in a, in a way where I'm offering that container for her to let that out. Mm
0: Yeah man that's a great move. That's that's a move that I have definitely found success with. A lot of times I forget to go there, but it's a, it's a really good one just saying, "Hey, wait. Let's pause for a minute." Especially if you have this level of connection and, and communication with your partner that you can say, "Let's just pause for a second. What's what do you, what do you what's really behind what you're saying? Is there something else?" Cuz like you said, a lot of times there really is, and they, they sometimes they don't even know it. They're they're they are communicating through the emotion of what they're saying, not what they're actually saying. So I think that's a very keen observation that you're making there, man. And I want to shift away for a minute because you mentioned on the opposing side of that, as men, we crave freedom. Now, word freedom, man, is just so, it's such an interesting one for me. because I think that's something that we as men, one of the big problems in our society is that men aren't experiencing freedom. For a lot of different reasons. Some of them are personal reasons, internal reasons. And a lot of them, I think, are also social expectations that we have, societal expectations of who men should be or need to be that limits our sense of freedom. So before you got arrested, what would you say your definition of freedom was then?
1: Yeah, my definition was, you know, nothing too strong. I I actually never thought about it as much until I was arrested. But I mean, my definition of freedom was for me to be able to just simply do what I wanted, you know, to not be deterred from by other people you know i just wanted to live the life i wanted simply
0: mm. and so how has your definition of freedom transformed
1: well obviously i'm under the control of the federal government currently you know i'm on pre-trial release so i i, I can't just simply i'm not allowed to leave the state there's a lot of freedoms that have been taken away from me i spent mm. a good amount of time on the ankle bracelet i spent a good amount of time in home confinement all these things limiting my freedom one thing I began to realize about freedom, and this was accidentally realized, was when I decided to take responsibility in this situation I'm facing. And once I started to take responsibility responsibility for the people around me, responsibility for myself, um, you know, responsibility for however this plays out. There's opportunities begin to open in that responsibility, and one of them was, well, I can create a podcast of my own, right? And I can share my story. I can interview other people who been to prison and came out successfully another opportunity was to you know sit down with my partner and figure out ways that we can communicate and maintain a relationship while we're in prison and then other people started reaching out to me through the podcast you know i i just realized that with responsibility comes more opportunities and opportunity is essentially freedom i had more choices the more i took on mm. the more choices i was able to make which gave me a sense of freedom. You know, when I, before I took Mm. on responsibility, I was just waiting for things to happen. I had no choices to make. And I think, Mm. you know, responsibility creates the opportunity, which leads to freedom.
0: Mm. That's awesome, man. I, I would expand that a little bit further in my definition of freedom, that choosing to take responsibility, and I would define that as commitment. And I've heard a, dis- a definition of freedom that a free man is not a man with choices, but a man who only has commitments because that's truly when a man is free. When we have, fr- when we have per- perceived or pseudo, a pseudo sense of freedom where we can have all these opportunities and possibilities available to us, we end up stagnating in, in indecision. But when we're committed, when we, when we take on responsibility and we have purpose and meaning, again, is truly when we experience that sense of freedom, freedom to be ourselves, freedom to be ourselves on our terms. And to me, I think that's where this might be a little bit unique for you, because part of your freedom, it seems, in my perspective, is is not on your terms, you, you, you're not choosing to go to prison, you're, you're cooperating, but I don't think that would be your choice if you had it your way. So how do you how are you negotiating that piece and and still claiming freedom for yourself f- with the part that's been taken from you?
1: In those areas, I have really delved into what I would call an inner freedom. I've really mm-hmm. delved into kind of finding a way to be at peace with myself. And that gives me a sense of freedom as I move through these areas where I'm feeling control from outside sources, you know, I'm not struggling Mm. against them and I do find a way to kind of move within them and at least expand my wings, so to speak within those confines to the largest degree I could. Mm.
0: Yeah, man, even just imagining as we're having this conversation, I'm seeing that nobody can ever really take your mind from you. Nobody can ever really take your body from you and no one can really ever take your spirit from you, especially despite the circumstances that you find your mind, body, and spirit in because of the society and the cultural structure that we have, that's always yours. It's just the perception of where you are existing and how you can play out your story that makes it positive or negative or something that feels good and feels of our own, feels freedom, feels free, or something that feels confined.
1: You know, on my podcast, I've interviewed several men who've been to prison and it's come up often that many of them, while they were there, felt more free than they ever have in their life. You know, they found a way to exist that led to more freedom than they've ever experienced while in prison.
0: In what ways, man? I'm so fascinated by that. I think
1: that they were, one of the things they did is they broke free from these chains, so to speak, and these ways of life that they felt they had to be connected to, right? Their old ways that were not providing any anything positive for themselves. And that they found ways mm. to, find meaning within their own self, not simply with everything around them. And the, the, the value and meaning in their own self gave them that sense of freedom.
0: Hmm. Wow. And, uh, you know, what, what a powerful instrument of of imprisonment and confinement to reveal that, to reveal that freedom has been there all along underneath everything. That's, that's powerful, man.
1: And I would like to just point out one thing that a lot of people say, you know, that prison uh, can give people that sense of freedom but i would word it differently and I just from everyone i talk to and from what i understand that they gained that freedom in spite of a prison not because of a prison ah
0: in spite of yeah and to me that's that's claiming your your authority you know even though even though the authorities quote unquote are telling you what to do when to eat where to shit and all that stuff you're still not get, choosing to give away your personal authority that that you are your own you're you're still sovereign within yourself It's amazing, man. I I think that it's well. Let let me ask you. Let me ask you. Do you wish the circumstances were different?
1: It's a hard question. Some ways, yes. Some ways, no. You know, I mean, I wish I wasn't going to prison for the sake of my children and my partner and and my parents and my family. You know, it's it's not something I want them to have to experience. But at the same time, the circumstances of of this situation so far have led me to some amazing breakthroughs in my life and amazing areas of who I am becoming. So I'm, I'm I'm grateful of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, having known you and witnessed you for the past year on your journey, I would say that it's not it's not a matter of the what that you're going through; it's how you've shown up in the process of it that's made it meaningful. Because I'm sure there's a, as as many or more stories of, of guys who go to prison with the with the context that their life is over, and so they don't find this internal peace within themselves. And um, I wonder if you'll. Come across any any of those guys in your in your travels, and while you're in there, what what is your plan of of how you can continue to be of service with your message and your mission outside of the podcast? Because to me, the podcast is for the outside world. Are you? Do you have any ideas of how you want to be of service while you're in there?
1: Yeah. Well, one I want to say about the podcast, it's not going to only be for the outside world because my my goal here is to have it transcribed, and people can actually mail in the episodes to other people who are serving time, so they can gain value from the podcast in that way. But Amazing. You know, I also during this whole process after I was arrested, I went to school for one year to become a certified life coach and a certified health coach and I do plan to carry that skills and knowledge that I gained there to helping other men who are serving time. I'm particularly interested in in working with men at this point in my life and I think prison is a place where there'll be, you know, a decent amount of men who might be in need <laughs> of some guidance and service. So I think it's a great place to exercise the skills and knowledge that I gained.
0: Tell me this, Pepe. What does the next chapter of your life look like in in with the best possible outcome? The way that you envision it. Tell us what that story looks like. This chapter of being in prison for the for the next X amount of years.
1: So, well, are you asking the time in prison or the time after?
0: The time in prison specifically. And then we could talk about the time after.
1: Yeah, the the best possible outcome there is for me to continue my podcast. And, you know, what I'm hoping there is that my co-host, Ben, will take over the podcast. I can call in to him through prison phone lines and he can record our conversation. So I will still be contributing to the world through the podcast that's very important to me Um, as I said that's one way of assigning meaning to the suffering I'm going to have to endure because I know it's not going to be easy for me right but if I can give it that meaning and that's one way I will Uh, another way as I mentioned is working with the men on the inside and then another way is going uh, extremely deep into my inner self you know exploring that that inner freedom I think I'm going to learn more about freedom than most people will through this experience, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that experience. And then one of the greatest things for me, and it sounds so crazy to say, is I think this is going to do a lot of good for my relationship if we get through this, because we're going to develop and learn new ways of communication that the average couple doesn't get to experience. Mm.
0: Agreed, man. I think that, like you said, you're going to learn more about freedom than probably most people will in in a whole lifetime. I think there's a there's a lot of people who are not confined or never will never serve a prison sentence, but also never experience freedom in the way that you will. So I think that it's just such a great reminder, man. If there's one thing that I take away from your story, it's that, wow, my circumstances could be different. And my sense of my perceptions of my reality are only true if I say they are and that I have the same opportunity that you do. I don't need to get arrested and face federal charges to examine my reality and how I'm holding things. So that's a uh, it's beautiful medicine. I'll say for myself, you already have given me in the time that I've known you in witnessing your your process. Is, is it okay if we share the story about the the fire? Absolutely. Also, yeah. okay. Yeah. So phoenix coming it, into my life. Oh, oh my God, man! So tell tell us that story because if if not facing you know ten years to life in prison wasn't enough, what what happened to you just over a year ago?
1: So, you know, this was at a point in time where I was going through this identity crisis so to speak as I said you know I everything was falling apart it seemed and I had been arrested and you know all the old ways I identified as were were falling apart I was really working on letting go of those old identities I needed to let go of them in order to move forward and I was kind of struggling with that it wasn't easy and so the last thing that was pretty much left in my life besides the people I knew that had a connection to these old identities was my home and while I'm doing my best to let go and I just couldn't do it, one day there was a fire at the apartment building that I lived in and it just made its way over to my apartment and it completely destroyed my home. I mean, everything I owned or 90% of everything I owned was was lost. And so, you know, here I am facing 10 years to life and my home burns down. So it was a, <laughs> it was a very, to put in a, a light way, I guess, unique experience.
0: Yeah, man, definitely unique. And I remember because we were in, in relationship at this point, and I remember when that happened, my experience of you was sort of like, huh, so that happened. <laughs> Whereas anybody else who has their house burned down would be like, oh my God, what do I do my life, all my stuff, all my things. And you're just like, huh, okay. <laughs> that was an interesting twist I didn't see coming, but you certainly didn't unravel. You certainly didn't lose a sense of who you were.
1: No. If anything, it like I said, there was the last bits of that old identity, some of which was no longer valid. And and that kind of the world was just saying, hey, if you can't let go of these certain things, we're gonna help you. And <laughs> and it definitely led me into a new territory of, of who I've become and who I am now. You know, it definitely gave me that push I needed.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. And and on a in my opinion, on a much smaller scale, but something that's personally relevant to me, I had a similar experience almost a year ago. It'll, it'll be a year in July, where I had this car. I was determined because because of finances, right? I was like, oh, I can't afford to get a new car. I keep pushing it off, keep pushing it off. I'm not going to get a new car. It had like 225,000 miles on it. I said, I'm going to run this thing until it falls off the tires, you know, until the wheels fall off you know, I got, I got, I was driving to a client's house and I got rear-ended by a 16, 17 year old girl on her way to her high school graduation. And, I, and my car was totaled because it was so old. It had so many miles on it. They're like, this isn't even worth having. And it forced me into buying a new car. You know, I, it was fortuitous because, you know, she took responsibility. I got some money back for that and it all worked out, but had that not happened i wouldn't have said okay it's time to buy a new car <laughs> i would have i would have kept that car for who knows maybe another 6 months to a year so it, it is it is beautiful how some way sometimes the universe just intervenes and says well let's help you along a little bit you know fire crash burn
1: you know it always seems to find a way to Present you with growth, and usually, growth is sometimes painful.
0: (laughs) Usually, and almost always painful, I think. I, I always use the metaphor of growing pains, you know. And my son is going through it right now, he's three and a half years old. He'll wake up in the middle of the night and his knees are killing him. And I remember what that was like, you know, just to wake up and just have that deep, aching bone pain, but also waking up the next day saying, Okay, well, I made it through that, and sweet, I'm an inch taller than I was. That was the whole goal back then was to get taller. So yeah, we don't, we don't get what we want without giving something also and surrendering something, man. This has been a really beautiful conversation with you, man. I'm really looking forward to tracking your journey. And if you're, if you're open and available to it, if we can figure it, figure it out, I'd love to interview you after you've spent some time in there too, to see how life looks like then.
1: Yeah. I definitely love to be back on. Yeah.
0: Amazing, man. Well, before we do our wrap up questions, I also wanted to ask you your vision for your life after you come out. So best possible outcome, what does life look like for you then? And what are you looking forward to?
1: So my vision, I mean, and this might change once I'm in there, I might, you know, begin to learn some new things about myself and, and kind of find uh, gifts that I didn't know I had that might lead me in a different area. But right now, you know, my, my vision entails working with men as perhaps like a coach or a mentor of some kind, and maybe specifically working with men going into and coming out of the prison system, but not exclusively that area. And, you -hmm. know, just having an even stronger relationship with my children and my partner as well. Mm.
0: Yeah. What do do you see for your, for your family? What do you, what do you want for your family? Give us, give us like the snapshot of what life can look like and, and where you'll be.
1: I mean, what I, what I see for my family is when this is all done, they will have realized they're much more stronger and capable than they ever thought. So I think that other challenges mm-hmm. that come up for them in their life will not be as threatening as they would have been otherwise. You know, so I think mm-hmm. my family would be in a a more uh, empowered place by the end of this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's one thing that my wife says to me a lot, and I, I think it's probably something very common for, for women with their partners. She's like, I don't know what I would do without you. I don't know what I would do without you, especially in, in the more traditional dynamic where I'm, I'm the provider And she, she depends on me for a lot. And I always respond. I always kind of brush it off. You know, I'm like, Oh, you'd be fine. You know, something, if something really happened, you'd be fine. You'd figure it out. But how beautiful for you to wish for your family to gain a deeper sense of strength, a deeper sense of autonomy and independence, and to still have you like that is, that is such a beautiful thing because the world at the end of the day, all we really have is ourselves, right? We have our family, we have people we can rely on, but there are moments in our lives where we have nobody but ourselves. So to, to wish that for your family and the people closest to you to have a deeper sense of strength and personal resolve, that's, that's beautiful, Pep. I, I really, uh, really admire yeah, that. Yeah,
1: no, I'm, I'm glad I'm able to think of it that way. I just want to kind of quickly say that, you know, I struggled with that. And some people that helped me get there, I've actually interviewed multiple women who have been, uh, who have partners in prison, and they kind of helped me mm. understand that. You know, I've done a, a four part mm-hmm. series on my podcast with women in their perspective of what it's like to be with someone serving time. And they, they showed mm-hmm. me a lot of the positives that they've endured and encountered throughout this this experience.
0: Awesome, man. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing all of that when you finally when you finally release it. Let's do the lightning round real quick before we wrap up here. Uh, what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18?
1: So originally, I was going to have to say patience, but then I thought about it a little mm-hmm. bit. And I I switched it to the word stillness because I you know stillness can teach you patience, but it also can teach you awareness at the same time. So it's even better than patience. Mm, love that.
0: And, and what do you think is the most important value to have as a man?
1: And this is a hard one. I you know I struggle with narrowing things down to just one thing, but then it worked mm-hmm. in this case. I you know I thought about it because it, it could be love. It, it um, you know it could be honesty. It could be openness. You know it can be a, a hundred things, but it has to come down to integrity because if you don't approach any of those with integrity, then you're not using them in the, in the best possible way. So integrity is the most important value. You know, it can be the foundation of every other value. Mm.
0: Got it, man. Awesome. Love that. And because you're such an avid listener of the Rising Man podcast, I had to come up with a question just for you that you wouldn't see coming. Are you ready for this one? Yeah, <laughs> okay. What? is your unique purpose in this life in one sentence or less?
1: My unique purpose is to figure out how to be the best man I could be and then put that forth into the world.
0: Awesome, man. And I, I see you doing that. I can't wait to see what you come up with. I, I'm sure that the podcast is huge. I'm sure there will be many more things that unfold with the time that you have. I trust that you're going to use it well. We'll be thinking of you out here, man. Last but not least, just let us know where can we find the podcast or what, what can we do to continue tracking you and make sure that those people out here who want to hear about your journey can find you?
1: Sure. So currently at the time of this recording, I'm not having much of an online presence just because of, the legal situation I've been in. Uh, The podcast, I have about 20 episodes recorded, but they won't be released until after I'm serving time, which will probably be in late July or August. And the name of the podcast is Preparing for Freedom. And I'm gonna have a website. I'm gonna maintain a blog from prison and the website will be preparingforfreedom.org. And perhaps when all that stuff is up, whether I'm in prison or not, I can reach out to you and you can let your listeners know.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. We'll, we'll put what we've got up in the show notes now and then we'll ha- I'll have my team update it when you go in and I'm sure we'll talk right before you go in and then we can re-release it so that everybody can listen to it fresh and, and have access to what's available then. So yeah, man, definitely... So much honor and admiration for the man that you are, the man that you've become in just the time that I've known you and truly inspirational for me, man. I'm taking a lot away from this conversation about my sense of freedom and my own perceptions of reality. And I hope that the men who are listening consider that for themselves too, because we may not all have the opportunity that you've had to have a deeper conversation with ourselves about our freedom. So thanks for taking the time that you do have. With, left out here before you go in to, to be on here with us and to share what you've learned.
1: Yeah, Jetty, it's been an honor to be on here with you and to talk to your listeners. And you know, I just want to say one thing to your listeners. If anyone is questioning at all on, on whether or not to join in on one of Jetty's group sessions that he runs, I, you know, I would highly recommend it. I've worked with Jetty. He's helped me a lot. He's helped me through this crazy process that I'm going through, so I'm sure he has you know, the the skills necessary to help people through most things in their lives.
0: Mm, thank you, Pep. I appreciate that endorsement. It's an honor to support you, man. And uh, yeah, I look forward to tracking your journey and continuing to learn from you, brother. Um, blessings and, and enjoy the time with your family that you have right now before this chapter closes and a new one begins.
1: All right. So long and much love, Jay.
0: Much love, bro. I've been looking forward to sharing this conversation with the Rising Man community for a long time. I've I've known Pepe for over a year and I've watched him on his path as he's navigating what to me is just an unthinkable circumstance in life. The prospect of spending up to 10 years away from my family, from his family. I just, I can't imagine what that's like. But to see a man who has taken those circumstances and figured out a way to make it work for him so that he's not a victim to them but he is a player in the game of his life, is really inspiring. And so despite any of the circumstances that we have going on in our lives, recognizing that it's a game that we can play or we can let the game play us. And that's that mindset of a warrior that Pepe was talking about. How can I make what's here work for me? So every one of you guys who's fired up, who heard this episode and wants to get more active in taking charge of your life and making shit happen in your world... The next Rising Man Fire Circle is May 25th, 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Mark your calendar. And while you're at it, if you're not already a member of our inner Rising Man Fire Circle, get yourself signed up. Head over to patreon.com slash Man. This is the way that you can support the podcast and everything that we do. All contributions from Patreon go directly back into the podcast. Everything that it takes to make this work and to be part of a growing community of men who I know in the next one to three to five to 10 years are going to be making an impact on this world that everyone's going to know about. So make sure you sign up to be a part of that today. Check out the show notes for links and resources to know more about Pepe and his podcast that's coming up here at risingmanpodcast.com. And that's for any episode. If you guys haven't gone to check out the show notes, we're starting to add them to the description inside of iTunes if you listen on iTunes, but you can always find them at therisingmanpodcast.com. My man Julian Subic doing an excellent job over at the risemanpodcast.com making sure these episodes get out there and that we've got great show notes for you guys please subscribe and follow us on the podcast app of your choice whether it's itunes stitcher spotify google play any of the other ones i'm forgetting please read reviews comments five star ratings if they let you do that because it really helps us rise the charts and get into the ears and the minds of more men so please do that support us let us See what it is that you're getting from these episodes and continue this conversation offline outside of just the episode content. As always, check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. my man Rowan Tyne, putting out the images and the captions every single week, keeping the fire burning in between episodes. Please share that content up as well. You know, tag a man in it. The next time you see one, tag a man who you know could benefit from being part of this Rising Man community. Shout out to Sean Offenbach at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X. Just got off the phone with my man before I recorded this and, and he's doing big things in the world. So make sure you guys give him a follow. Anybody, and I mean anybody, who has some audio needs, engineering needs, branding needs. Sean's your man. He's doing big things in the world, making waves, and has really made The Rising Man possible from the beginning. So big love to you, Sean. And last but not least, my man Mark Rose, our Rising Man Fire Circle manager, fire tender, fire keeper. He is the guy who is your liaison if you do choose to step inside the fire circle. So make sure you reach out to him, give him some love. He's been doing a great job keeping those fires stoked. For the rest of us, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.